Pod Conduit Media. The Sandman Unlocked. Hello, dreamers, and welcome to another episode of The Sandman Unlocked. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean Dotson, and I'm thrilled you're joining us for our breakdown of The Sandman Issue 3, Dream a Little Dream of Me. I'm joined by my two uncanny co-hosts, Ben Childers. How you doing, Ben? Hey, y'all. And Ashley Mowers. Hi, Ashley. Hello. On each episode, we'll be deconstructing that issue into six separate sections. First will be the rundown, where we'll let you know who created the issue and the catch-up to be sure you know where we are in the story. Next, we'll do the breakdown. This gives you a synopsis of that week's episode, and we follow that up with a deep dive when we really get into everything that happened. In our last two sections, we'll discuss our favorite panel and favorite non-Morpheus character from that issue. So there you have it. Six sections to get through, so let's get Sandy. Ashley, over to you for the rundown. <laughs> Never get did it again. <laughs> he did it again. <laughs> All right, so issue three, Dream a Little Dream of Me, story by, if you don't know this already, if you cannot fill in the blank, you've not been paying attention, Neil Gaiman, penciling by Sam Keith, inking by Mike Dringenberg, coloring by the illustrious Daniel Vozo, lettering by Todd Klein, cover art by Dave McKean, assistant editor is Art Young, and editor is Karen Berger. All right, Ben. Give us the catch-up. All right, so we're two issues in to Preludes and Nocturnes, the first volume of The Sandman. And what has happened so far is The Sandman was captured by Roderick Burgress. He has then escaped. He had been in prison for somewhere between an 80 and 100 years, somewhere in that time frame. He has gotten back to the dreaming. And what he did in the most recent issue is he summoned the fates, the three that are one, the one that are three, the Hecate, the kindly ones. And what he asked of them is he was wondering the whereabouts of his pouch, his mask, and his ruby. All three gave one answer each. They were cryptic, as they always are. And so now Morpheus needed to decide which of the three to go after first and he decided to visit London and find John Constantine because he was the last person that had the Sandman's pouch. And so we see him at the end of issue two going to London to find John. And that is where our story picks up in London. Sean, over to you. After a mysterious cold open in which we see that a woman in a nondescript suburb seems to be using Dream's pouch of sand as a narcotic, we are introduced to John Constantine, blue-collar London occultist, going about his business of waking up too late, eating poorly, and having nightmares. Constantine senses that mystic forces are drawing near him, though he largely disregards the words of Mad Hetty, a 247-year-old unhoused person who warns John of the Sandman's return. Soon enough, the Dream King appears at Constantine's door, demanding the return of his pouch. The unlikely duo search through the odds and ends and arcane artifacts that fill John's storage locker, eventually realizing that the pouch was stolen by an ex-lover. They visit her, Rachel's, father's house, where they discover Rachel and the pouch reside, while the house itself is now haunted by hungry dreams that feed off the living. An unfortunate cat burglar has been caught in a never-ending dream, while Rachel's father's body has been consumed and transformed. Constantine himself is nearly lost to these hungry dreams before Morpheus rescues him. Finally, they reach Rachel, her body desiccated and her mind lost. While Morpheus is content to take his pouch and let her die a painful death, Constantine demands that he end her suffering. The Sandman relents, eases her into death with a dream of true love, while granting Constantine a boon. The magician will no longer be plagued by nightmares of the horrific events in Newcastle a decade earlier. And even though this might not be the best idea, we're going to go poke around in Rachel's dad's house and see what's going on there. We'll be right back. Ben and Ava had the perfect life. Do you want me to drive? No, I'll be all right. I'm not due for another month. Until they had a tragic accident. Now they're on a road trip to reconnect. It's been five months. 
They stop at a bed and breakfast owned by Martha and Dennis Newman. Oh, well, hello there. Dennis, we've got guests. Martha, where's supper? Who have no intentions of letting them leave. Did you hear that? Yeah, sounds like someone fell. Gotcha! This is about something much bigger. It's about family. You have to run! They're catching up! <laughs> Stay the night. 11 episodes that will keep you on the edge of your seat. All right, well, that was about as creepy as we thought it was going to be. So moving <laughs> right along, we're now into the meat and potatoes of this issue. And so I'm looking at my two uncanny co-hosts here and seeing who is going to go first in the first thing they want to pull out from this week's issue. Ashley, looks like you are prepped and ready to go. What you got for us? Okay, well, th this first one might be a short one just because I was really desperate to find the origins of creeping. We've got that one guy who is, what is it, breaking and entering, who has a Porsche. He's an investment counselor. I really oh, yeah, wanted yeah, yeah, to yeah, find yeah. the history of creeping as a sport. And I read, <laughs> I've got to say, like 388 to 120 page criminal justice reports and I could not find a single thing about this being a trend. So naturally, naturally, I text my dad, who used to be a cop, and I was like, hey, this trend, you know anything about it? He's like, oh, yeah, that happened all the time. <laughs> He's wow. like, yeah, that was definitely a trend. And I was like, did you call it anything differently? He's like, yeah, just home invasions. And I was like, that makes sense. You are very, <laughs> very square, very straight edge. That makes sense that you would just call it by what it is. So in the issue, we've got this guy that's clearly breaking into Rachel's dad's house. We've got a couple panels of him doing so, explaining how there are a lot of thieves around these days. They call themselves creepers. It's a sport breaking into people's homes while they're still there. And that during the day, he's an investment counselor. So he's really just doing this for the kicks. And he'll take anything, checkbooks, CDs, credit cards, etc. And to him, he thinks of it as a con contribution to the free market economy. So he's not like the best guy. Definitely a neoliberal shill. <laughs> So yeah, so I was just really curious about it. So I, I asked my former cop dad, hey, do you know anything about this? He's like, oh yeah, no, that was definitely a thing. Very just, just nonchalant. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a thing. So I asked him what he thought their motives were since it just seemed like a standard practice. He's like, basically I always felt, and I'll quote him, we always felt bad guys were just trying to one up each other to show who was bigger, take the bigger risks or was the most mean. And I said, okay, so these were already known criminals. They weren't like standard civilians egging each other on. He's like, yeah, I don't get a big idea that these were younger criminals. Uh, I can't think that there were any just bored kids walking around looking for something to do. This is the Batman theory of escalation, really. <laughs> yeah, basically. Right? <laughs> this is how you get like scarecrows and jokers and stuff yep no that's exactly it so then you know i tried to press him for more information i'm sure he couldn't tell me because towards the end of the conversation he's like you can google it so i didn't have the heart to tell him that i already had uh but that was my brief conversation with my cop dad as to creeping whether it was actually a trend in london i'm sure it was but to the extent to which it was documented and talked about maybe creeping was an underground term that didn't make it to mm. you know the establishment but uh pretty standard stuff i really wanted there to be more there but what, what do you think that guy's doing now because they definitely just left him there like everything else was tied up very neatly but that mm -hmm. guy is still like hanging out in rachel's oh, dad's I'm, house i'm sure he's dead i'm sure his flesh is being melded into rachel's dad's flesh and they are Absolutely. one they are legion they're legion just absorbing all of the credit cards and checkbooks and cds he wanted to steal Sean, what's your first one from this week's issue? Gotta go Constantine. This Constantine! Is, yeah, this is a John Constantine story, really. Which is appropriate, because like when Neil Gaiman initially was in conversation with the folks at DC, with Karen Berger and Dick Giordano, his pitches for a series, he had three, one was the Phantom Stranger. One was the 
Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, 70s Sandman. And the last one was John Constantine, who oh, cool. had already become a, a big hit by that time. They said no, because his series was, was already in development mm. with uh, Jamie Delano and John Ridgway. Um, but, you know, he still got to use the character, which is nice. Very cool. So, you know, for those of you who might just be approaching comics for the first time, I thought I could go a little bit into who this character is, why people would have been so excited to see him in this series, you know, when it was originally being released. And also why we're saying Constantine. <laughs> why we're saying Constantine. <laughs> if you yes. didn't listen to last week's episode. <laughs> yes, that has been made clear by, I think, like, Alan Moore now and Neil Gaiman now and with, like, textual evidence. It was, it, it was a line in the sand right there. Yeah, so don't listen to Keanu Reeves and uh, <laughs> listen to Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore. You'll be better off for it. All right, so... So the first time readers met uh, John Constantine, John Constantine. Now I'm now I'm messing it up. <laughs> was in uh, Swamp Thing, Volume Two, Issue Thirty Seven, in nineteen eighty five, by Alan Moore, Stephen Bissett, and John Tuttlebin, where he, you know, coming out of the gate, he's like a fully formed character, right? With his debut appearance, he has an attitude, a history, a politics. A dubious morality that pretty much all existed the moment he appeared on the page. Um, like when he first shows up, he is blackmailing Swamp Thing's girlfriend, Abby Arcane, into helping him meet Swamp Thing by threatening to reveal their relationship to her employers. And basically, wow. yeah, and basically get her fired from her job teaching special needs kids. What's the beef no. here? Without getting too much into it. Um, well, I think think he needed Swamp Thing's help to stop the return of some like elder god who was going to destroy the earth. Oh, so he was just, it was whatever leverage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Nothing that's any better. Yeah, so blackmails Swamp Thing's girlfriend. Swamp Thing is enraged by his audacity and Constantine just kind of replies, you know, he says, I'm a nasty piece of work, chief. Ask anybody. So as you can imagine, this guy... <laughs> Yes, was popular right off the bat. So Constantine. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What are you going to do? I'm a Um, scuzzle. I like the description from uh, Garth Ennis's Dangerous Habits storyline, which is a storyline that's probably like maybe the most iconic Constantine story over the decades. But he says, he says, and this is a sort of Constantine monologue. He says, I'm the one who steps from the shadows, all trench coat and cigarette and arrogance, ready to deal with the madness. Oh, I've got it all sewn up. I can save you. If it takes the last drop of your blood, I'll drive your demons away. I'll kick them in the bollocks and spit on them when they're down. And then I'll be gone back into the darkness, leaving only a nod and a wink and a wisecrack. I walk my path alone. Who would want to walk with me? Oh, gosh. How insufferable. <laughs> I just can't stand it. Yes, but this is like catnip to like 80s comic book readers, mm, right, right? Right. Like, cool guy in the trench coat who like knows everyone and knows everything is just like total like wish fulfillment now has he always been a like sorcerer is that like part of his canonical skill set from when he showed up here or is he just a dude right now in swamp thing oh no he's he's canonically a a, a sorcerer okay that's part of his like i thought he was a warlock Um, uh, because there is a difference yeah so am i yeah well okay magic user how about that is that good (laughs) can we just be non we just say magic user no way break it down for (laughs) us oh a warlock has been uh has been given its powers via a a bind with a demon right and then a sorcerer a demon or another sort of entity sorcerer it is your magical like in your blood intrinsic within them. Wizards have learned their their things. Those are the three. I knew it! I play Pathfinder! I know Pathfinder! You did! There you go! I knew. knew. Okay, well then, Constantine is all three. So that tragic event back in Newcastle, that was him arrogantly summoning a demon to deal with a haunting in a nightclub. And he summons this demon does it wrong so it kills you know the ghost that it was supposed to but it also takes this little girl and drags her into hell with it and he's kind of hanging onto her arm and the portal closes leaving her with just leaving him with just this little girl's severed arm and he goes and that drives him insane and he spends the next like year (laughs) in a psychiatric facility um so we've got the uh we've got the warlock covered right 
right? Because yep, yep. he called up this demon. Okay, sorcerer. <laughs> yep. I so this his he's been around a long time. He's been around like you know forty something years. There's a lot of backstory. I don't know all of it. I do know that he comes from a long line of of magicians. So that comes out somewhere along the way, right? So we've got mm-hmm. the we've got the. Uh, we've got the sorcerer part, right? Magician, he's clearly in this, you know, in this story, he's got like mad stacks of books like all over the place. Like this is like the nerdiest John Constantine sort of interpretation, I think. So I think oh, we got totally. all three, right? We got all three. I love it. Nice. And yeah. little icing on the cake there, he looks canonically like uh, Sting from the police. There's also that <laughs> element there. <laughs> it's true. Uh, quick little sidebar on Sting. Do you know who Sting just released an album with? No. He released no. a jazz reggae album that he produced of Frank Sinatra covers by the reggaeton artist Shaggy. What? Yeah. Um, Sting pretty much told <laughs> Shaggy they've been they've that been touring be together and they like they've done they've done work together and Sting convinced Shaggy that he has the same vocal register as Frank Sinatra. And they just put out this, uh, he produced him an album of Frank Sinatra uh, jazz classic covers of Shaggy doing them. So you can listen to Shaggy do, uh, you know, like Fly Me to the I'm, Moon. I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is endlessly fascinating. And I have to check this out. <laughs> Producer Pat, he's jumping in. <laughs> no, I had to. He has to comment. <laughs> Sometimes he that, I, I It's not good podcasting to just sit here dumbstruck, but that's that's what I'm doing. It's okay. I can edit out the dead space. <laughs> I mean, I guess it shouldn't shock me too much. Sting did also write a musical, so he like he, yeah, he's got he wants to try it all. Breadth and depth. All right, let me uh, after wow. throwing us totally off course. Let me uh, let me bring it back in. So we have Constantine, uh, we have Creepers. So Ash, I think we're back over to you. What is the second thing that you want to chat about from this issue? Oh gosh, this is great because I had so many, I have so many pages of notes of other things that I want to talk about, but just to smoothly transition from where Sean was talking, I really wanted to look up the lupus affair. So I was like, I was like in full investigative journalism mode (laughs) with this issue in just picking the most niche things to try to find more info. I was like, you didn't tell me enough about this. So the lupus affair, known as being kind of this really mysterious case of Constantine's, no one can find any specific reference necessarily, uh, but people have guesses that this is in reference to the werewolf Anthony Lupus, who is a DC comic character. He's first referenced in Batman issue 255 from 1974, Moon of the Wolf. Ooh, a really like great that. title, just like tells you everything you need to know. And so uh, Anthony Lupus is a former Olympic decathlon champion, and he goes to Mad Pharmacist, Mad Pharmacist, (laughs) this is where we're at with Batman right now, Uh, Professor Milo, who gives him a drug to cure these severe headaches, but this accelerates his natural pilosity or hairiness into full-fledged lycanthropy. And so Professor Milo then says, okay, I can cure your lycanthropy if you kill Batman for me. And so they manage to trap Batman. Professor Milo then leaves him chained in an abandoned lot and lets, you know, Anthony kind of do his thing. But as soon as Anthony transforms, instead of attacking Batman, he attacks Milo Uh. first. And so then after that... Batman fights Anthony until, and this is just, this is the craziest issue, until a bolt of lightning strikes Anthony, Batman assumes he's dead. Yeah, I know. Like, this is (laughs) the looks you're giving. I know. I was was like, this can't can't be real. But the 70s, man. Everyone was on drugs. Yeah, exactly. As soon as you hear where it's from, it's like, oh, that makes total sense. But yeah, so lightning strikes Anthony. Batman assumes he's dead. However, then reports come through that Lupus is seen in Alaska hunting wolves in search of a cure. And so then Lupus returns later in Detective Comics number 505. Batman goes to Alaska to try to capture Lupus in order to give Anthony's sister, Lupus's sister, Angela, a needed bone marrow transplant. This is just full, this is just the most bizarre character. 
takes him forever to catch Anthony because it's where Anthony can be his full wolf self. And there's so much room to run and be his true self. And then once he captures him with a silver net, clever, uh, he brings Anthony back and promises that he'll find a cure for the condition that Milo gave him. So... This might actually be a reference to that case, suggesting that that Constantine was somehow involved in searching for Anthony Lupus. And because we know Gaiman is very um, enthusiastic about making comic book references to other comics that he really loves, it would not shock me to know that this is the case he's referencing, even though there's no direct link. Uh, so that is the Lupus Affair. When he comes on the show, we'll have to ask him. Like, well, I was about the Lupus, lupus affair. affair and and Cersei. Those are the yeah. two outstanding questions so far. Like I truly, I felt like Charlie in front of a corkboard, just pinning <laughs> things together, being like, "I gotta know, I gotta know." Oh, I'm I'm not sure what that is, but uh, we're gonna go check it out, and uh, we'll be uh, right back. We hope. Do you fondly remember blowing the dust out of a golden Nintendo cartridge to get it to work? Get the dust out of it. All right, here we go. Yes, let's get it. Now the screen's gray. Aw, man. Or those long nights when you were up late fighting Ganon and you'd hear your mom coming downstairs. Hello? That's mom. Uh, Pretend you're asleep. Wait, pause it. Pause it. Turn off the TV. Do you think she's gone? Make a sound. Hmm, I thought I heard two boys down here. Oh, well. Well, Ben and Pat are here to transport you back to those exhilarating moments as the Hyrule Podcasters. Join the two brothers each week as they play through Zelda games in Nintendo's legendary series. Episodes are filled with color commentary, lightly researched facts, personal anecdotes, and more. Hyrule Podcasters is available through Anchor on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow the Hyrule Podcasters on Facebook and Instagram at Hyrule Podcasters and on Twitter at Hyrule Podcasters. All right, we all seem to be here. Anyone get bit? No, I'm good. No? All right, Sean, over to you. (laughs) I am also good. So I, I thought I'd also call out that this issue is notable... I think as really the first time in the series, we get a story that is entirely from another character's perspective, right? Like this is most definitely a John Constantine story. And in this one, it's just Morpheus just sort of sweeps in, you know, changes a character's life in some significant way and is gone. And it's a pattern we'll see um, repeated throughout the series, really. And they make for some of the best stories. So uh, nice to see the kind of, origin point there you know it's constantine's perspective we get throughout the issue and it's from his perspective that we encounter dream um and i think that makes for always an interesting experience when you know because this is so much his story it's always great when we see that character from another perspective you know we're a long way from the man in the glass prison here or the monarch of a fallen kingdom, right? The, the dream we meet here is mysterious, wise, and totally in control of the situation. Like, so we see how we must appear to mortals, you know, even mortals like John Constantine who keep the company of swamp things and demons. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things to, to pull out of that is just understanding that Neil is... He, I don't know. He's not obsessed with his character has to always be front and center. has to be driving all of like the story it has to be. Yeah. And, and I, I think that is very refreshing and it opens up over the next six fifty, you know, 76 total issues. You actually get a lot that are like this, that, and it just, it provides a really nice balance sometimes. And every once in a while you might get an, an issue where it's like, Oh, I didn't really like that. You know, but it's like fine because there's so much diversity that it's going to want to make you come back the the next week to see what's going on. Right. And I love visual differences there. So if you're looking at, say, the page where Dream first appears in Constantine's like really ratty apartment, like that apartment sucks. That's it's it's pretty terrible. But he's just sort of, you know, appears in the door. and He's like towering over Constantine. He's got that, you know huge like gnomish head in in sam keith's version (laughs) and he's got of course the flame cloak and then it looks like the heads of sleeping dreamers and all that so it's really a different a different perspective than we've seen on the character before 
thus far. Thanks for that, Sean. Ashley, over to you. What's the last nugget for this one? So speaking of the sort of, <laughs> did you call it a gnomish head, Sean? Yeah. Yes. Gnomish. Yeah. Very so this sort of like alien-esque, humorless dream that we have in this issue, which I really enjoyed, I think is so enjoyable because we get John Constantine's perspective throughout of all of this. And I kind of just want to throw him a bone when he greets him at the door and says, well, I'm not Dr. Livingstone, pal. And then... He says, sorry, little joke. I so appreciate that joke. <laughs> and I don't think anybody else in that room, room meaning just dream, really does. But I love that panel because you see that contrast between them. Do you know that joke, Sean? Yeah, I mean, not directly, but it's like that Dr. Livingstone, I presume, right? Like that. I don't yeah. know it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I never knew what that meant. I just kind of phew, went right past it. No, you're good. This is... Like any good humorist, I'm going to explain the joke to you. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really, it's, there's not really a ton of depth to it apart from there's references there that I think people have lost throughout time. Um, mm. First of all, we know that, that John Constantine, his, his backstory, he was a part of a punk rock band, right, Sean? Mucus Membrane. Yes. Thank you. Mucus Membrane. So he would be very familiar with English rock. So... Okay. Knowing his character, he's most likely referring to the 1968 song, Dr. Livingstone, I presume, by English rock band, the Moody Blues, um, which really just covers within its stanzas, uh, Dr. David Livingstone, Captain Robert Falcon, Scott, and then Christopher Columbus. And so they each have their own section about the things that they're discovering. And part of the part of the chorus is interesting for the tone of the story because the chorus is just, mm. we're all looking for someone. We're all looking for someone. We're all looking for someone. Because they're talking about the sort of futility of their traveling and their adventuring and their discoveries when they're looking for something else. And we hear throughout this issue uh, Constantine being told something's trying to tell him someone. And that's kind of, you know, the, the tone of his sort of life and existence anyway. The thing that I find really funny, and this is where I do get like just a tiny little bit of theological humor, is Dr. David Livingstone was a Scottish physician, but he was also a Christian missionary and the quote unquote greatest African missionary in, in of his time. So he was this great famed adventurer in the Victorian era. The reason I find this funny is because one of the big things that he was the most sort of influenced by was the development of uh, new soteriology, which is the study of the doctrine of salvation. And the discussion happening theologically that he was influenced by was this idea that, how do I, how do I pare this down or water this down as much <laughs> as possible? They were, they were starting to question the idea of predestination, which is the suggestion that mm. God has already eternally chosen those whom he t intends to save. And that's and like one of the, the tenets of Calvinism, is that right? Correct. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So you're familiar. Yeah. yeah. Well done, sir. Yeah. So then you get the issue of double <laughs> I predestination. I paid attention to Western Civ. <laughs> <laughs> so then you get the issue of double predestination, which is if he's chosen people to save, he's chosen people to damn. And being a missionary, Livingstone had a problem with this um, and was really influenced by the idea um, by Dr. Charles Finney of Oberlin College that suggested that the Holy Spirit is open to all who ask it. Yes, sir. Oh, no, that was uh, Oberlin. That's near where I grew up. Oh, okay, That was cool. for Patrick. Perfect. That I was thought for you had a question. Oh, no. <laughs> so I find this funny to myself that this is a reference because the character in this issue in particular for all of his humor and swagger and sort of like rugged sort of disposition, we do see at the end of the issue how sort of anxious he is by the idea of being damned. You know, uh, Dream mm. makes a mention of going to hell and then Constantine mm. says, yeah, aren't we all? Uh, and you know that that's sort of an anxiety he has throughout his whole story. So the idea of him making a joke based off of a rock band he was 
probably very familiar with being a fictional character. And then also making a reference to somebody who is very focused on the idea of soteriology and the existence of hell and sinlessness and salvation is really amusing to me personally. Does John Constantine know who Dr. David Livingstone is? As far as missionary, he might have a vague reference because it's a part of English history. Uh, well, Scottish history and then English history as far as colonialism is concerned. But that the fact that that lines up as well as it does with John Constantine's story and Dr. David Livingstone's story is just hysterical to me. You know, every once in a while you find a place where someone has written a joke that is obviously not meant just for you, but it is just so for you. This joke was for you. Oh, yeah. This was the I most perfect so joke I was like, someone has ever written for you <laughs> in your entire life. It really was. I was like, John, I get it. Me. Talk to me. Pick me. I would understand. <laughs> I felt like that with um, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Have any of you ever seen that short-lived British TV show? No. no. It's about a like blowhard 80s mega author who does horror and has decided to release his long lost television series in which he plays like a brilliant surgeon who can do anything and also like defeats monsters. And it, it's, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And it's like, it's like for me only, cause I can't imagine <laughs> that like, 80s horror authors and their egos is like a huge topic of humor for many other people, but I like it. That's, it's not that's even my like jam. it's not even like a one quadrant show. It's like a one one hundredth percent of a quadrant of a television show. Yes, absolutely. And it's got some really funny people in it, like Matt Berry and Richard Iowade, and people people might be nice. With. So check that out. Amazing. All right, Sean. Last one. What you got for us? Ooh, okay. Where do I go with this? There's so many things that could be said. A couple quick hits. Uh, it's probably worth calling out one technique I appreciated, which was the shifting panel structure as we moved mm. through the issue, right? So, like, we got fairly regular kind of, you know, geometric shapes, six panels or so per page whenever it's just john or you know when they're just driving or something like that but when something sort of mystical happens you see a slight uh a slight you know rearrangement of the panels they kind of balloon out a little bit the angles get a little odder and then as you go as they enter into rachel's father's house it becomes you know totally chaotic so all of the angles are very canted and uh, distended and things like that until you get an entire break in the panel structure of the page when Constantine is kind of sucked into that dream and, uh, where he's falling and uh, Morpheus has to come rescue him. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm looking at the comic right now because you're flipping through it next to me and uh, some of the panels, they're they're drawn in a way where they overlap with each other and there's... It, it's almost difficult to, in some of the pages, to actually know which direction. I don't know if this happens to some of you when you're when you're reading, but sometimes I'll get a little lost. Like, do I go left to right here? Or do, I, do I go, like, top down a little bit and then back up right and then back down and then over left? So sometimes, and I feel like that that causes a sense of confusion in the reader purposely because the character involved is also confused and... That's something I, there are some books that have been written kind of over the years where you're kind of flipping through and you're jumping from multiple places and there's all sorts of different texts and all of a sudden you're reading like a magazine article and then there's like things printed in it and just that leads to a level of chaos that we're not used to in our literature. Yeah. And it, so, yes, exactly. And it's, uh, I wanted to call that out because I think it's important to note that, you know, the, 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 the layout of a page, the panel structure, you know, they're not just passive containers for these parts of the story. They are participating in the work of building the story. And a, uh, an elegant writer and artist can really maximize that uh, effect um, to, to, to comment and add an additional dimension for the reader. 
And if you remember back from our issue one discussion, uh, we had Sean go on for about 10 minutes kind of talking <laughs> about, well, pr- purposely we had you go on for 10 minutes talking about pages and panels and their purposes and how they're structured and how they're used. So if you're looking for that or you missed that, you can go back and reference that. I'll put a link in the show notes to where exactly that was in the first issue. Ashley, did you have anything springboarding off of that, looking at panel structure that you wanted to chime in on? No, I just feel really validated by Sean bringing that up because I thought I was hallucinating. I had noticed there was a change, but I couldn't find the the specific evidence to suggest a suggest. Uh, excuse me, but I couldn't find enough evidence for myself in the moment that I was noticing it to be able to suggest a consistent pattern. I was like, <laughs> Sean will know. I'll just ask Sean, and then you brought it up. Yeah, so absolutely. perfect. Nice. Great minds. It's good to have specializations <laughs> to lean on. <laughs> right. Because I never even thought to look up creepers. That was crazy. <laughs> A new thing to well, be scared so of, everyone. Entitled uh, <laughs> real estate so investment dis- bankers who, uh, you know, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to steal your CDs and VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah, I still do have that book of CDs. Most of them are Shin's albums, but, you know, we'll go from there. Um And so I really hope if anyone's listening to this and has more information about Creepers, please share it with me because it's driving me nuts. There has got to be a report somewhere of this specific phenomenon and I need to know about it. I think if we ever need to like, if we ever wanted to like do our own book, this is the topic right here. Oh, absolutely. All right. So what? Ben and Ava had the perfect life. Do you want me to drive? No, I'll be all right. I'm not due for another month. Until they had a tragic accident. Now they're on a road trip to reconnect. It's been five months. They stop at a bed and breakfast owned by Martha and Dennis Newman. Oh, well, hello there. Dennis, we've got guests. Martha, where's supper? Who have no intentions of letting them leave. Did you hear that? Yes, sounds like someone fell. Gotcha! Why are you doing this? This is about something much bigger. It's about family. You have to run! They're catching up! Stay the night. 11 episodes that will keep you on the edge of your seat. All right. We are back looking at our favorite panel. Always difficult to choose who's going to go first because you're going to steal from somebody else. So we'll go with Sean. What you got? Let's do it. Okay. There's nothing particularly notable about this panel other than it just kind of makes me giggle. I'm going to go for, this is the page. This is probably in the first third of the book, maybe half of the book. Constantine and Morpheus are looking for the pouch and they are being driven from a storage locker to Rachel's father's house by Chaz, Constantine's sort of sidekick, basically. And the panel I want to talk about is the second from the top there. It is the one with Morpheus just kind of sitting, chilling in the backseat of the car. In the middle. Yes, in the middle. Like a goof. Who's just in the middle? Yeah, what? Every time, every time, and it happens a couple times throughout the entire series, but every time Dream is being driven around, it it makes me laugh. It's just funny to imagine this, you know, near omnipotent being, you know, getting like stuck in traffic or something like that. Especially when he's with Ruby. That's, there's some really funny images. (laughs) Yes, very much so. Um, So that's my, that's my favorite. I like how he's just kind of, a hunched, darkened figure behind them. And they're in this shot. And this is one of the few shots where they're sort of like looming kind of over him, right? They're like taller than him. This is the world that they're familiar with. And he's just Mm kind of hanging out back there, probably a little bit freaked out. Who knows? You know? Um, So I like that one. It's it's always nice to see that kind of uh, role reversal there. Thanks, Sean. Ashley, what did you pick for this week's favorite panel? You mentioned Mad Hetty. Uh, this is pretty early on when Constantine's going to the diner and Mad Hetty appears for the first time just outside the diner window, <laughs> banging on it. So we get these big... Wump, wump. 
these big onomatopoeias, <laughs> womp, womp. And you can, you can hear yeah. it. You, just looking at it, the lettering, the way it's done, you can hear it for yourself. I can totally hear that, that fake glass pounding sound and just the movement um, drawn around her fist as well. She's just like this massive fist for this woman pounding on this glass with her mouth open and her hair disarray and this hat <laughs> I love the little flower. tiny little I flower <laughs> just that that's how she gets Constantine's attention no respect for who he is I think just the sheer audacity of her is what I love the most about this panel well I mean if you were hundreds of year old hundreds of years old would you give two hoots about who John Constantine is probably not oh no absolutely yeah. absolutely not but that's I mean She's one of the few people that we see here that really just gives him what for. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> so the fact that she's just like, this is in public. I need your attention. I'm not going to go in. I'm going to do something a little more efficient. I'm just going to bang on this glass and you'll come to me. <laughs> just perfect. That's a really good choice. I like that choice. That's great. Like she's who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> we all got to have role models. <laughs> All right, so mine comes a few pages after both of yours, uh, and Sean's actually already talked about this page. My favorite panel is the one where Morpheus turns his uh, cloak of flames into a regular blue trench coat. The amount of times that I have looked at that image and just thought, is that the tattoo I should get? Or the panel <laughs> next to it, is that the tattoo I should get? Like, which tattoo of the Sandman <laughs> should I get? And these two next to each other have always been in hot contention uh, with each other. I'm much more familiar with TV and film and how you block on TV and film is you really want to make sure that the person that's on the left side of the screen stays on the left side of the screen. The person on the right side of the screen stays on the right side of the screen. It's confusing for viewers if people are switching back and forth all the time. Degrees, baby. And here you can see it's, it's literally a mirror. It's at the bottom of the page. It's two panels. And you know, when he has all the faces and the, the cloak of flame still going on, he's on the right hand side. And in the very next panel, he is on the left hand side. And the, the thing that, before I started looking at these more critically is you have to remember like someone thought long and hard about where they wanted to put everybody in every single panel. Because if you remember from episode issue one, when Sean was talking, like you only have so much room, you only you have 22 pages, you have six panels that you can sometimes break up in different ways, but like, that's all you have. Like you have such a finite amount of space and to make the decision like, oh, we are going to reverse what side we put him on when he now looks more humanoid. There's a reason for the choice, right? Because he is embodying a different persona as he will be the Sandman on Earth and in, an, in, in that human form. And that is, a, that is a difference. And you can do that by doing a mirrored shot like that, which is just really neat to see in a comic when I'm more used to seeing that on TV and film. All right, so we have discussed our favorite panels, and our last section, some people say the best section, is to talk about our favorite non-Morpheus character. And so since we started with Sean for panels, Mowers, we're going to start with you for favorite character. What do you got? Initially, I was going to stick with Mad Hetty because I adore her no matter where she shows up. But for this specific issue, I want to go over to Mr. Chaz, Chaz Chandler, the cab driver and best buddy of Constantine, specifically because he's just always down to clown. He's an old punker. He's, you know, got nothing better to do but to drive around the physical embodiment of, of dream. He has his own sort of fun issue called Chaz the Knowledge, which is just a, a goofy little comic and his own backstory. But I just love the fact that <laughs> I just love that Dream calls him Mr. Chaz. <laughs> just the idea of calling anybody from a punk background Mr. Anything is hilarious to me. Uh, so that full exchange and, you know, being told that he's going to be rewarded for his help and everything. And also how protective John is of Chaz, I think, yeah, is really yeah, lovely. Absolutely. So just the fact that they've included him in this adventure, the little bit that he did, I think, is is really wonderful. Um, so that's that's my favorite. All right. So we got one on the board for Chaz. Sean, what do you got? I mean, 
I could try to be clever here, but I gotta go Don't with be Constantine. Yeah. I gotta. I mean, I, I it's it's I I have you know read his stories for for many many years. Um, and in this sort of meeting of these characters here, we're starting to see what will eventually become like the birth of the Vertigo publishing imprint, this sort of seedy underbelly mm. of the DC Comics universe where there's not really any superheroes or anything like that. Mm. It's it's folks like this. And so, you know, I, I appreciate seeing him there. I appreciate that he that he was created just because the artists of Swamp Thing wanted to draw Sting. Like, that is the, that is the <laughs> truth. This is... Uh, so, Alan Moore, uh, the creator of the character, he says... He's, oh gosh, I, I'm not going to do an Alan Moore. I'm not going to do an Alan Moore. I definitely shouldn't. Uh, he says, I think DC is terrified that Sting will sue them. Although Sting has seen the character and commented in Rolling Stone that he thought it was great. Um, you know, DC starts to get nervous about these things. But he says, I can state categorically that the character only existed because Stephen John wanted to do a character that looked like Sting. Having been given that challenge, how could I fit Sting into Swamp Thing? I have an idea that most of the mystics in comics are generally older people, very austere, very proper, very middle class in a lot of ways. They are not at all functional on the street. It struck me that it might be interesting for once to do an almost blue-collar warlock, somebody who is streetwise, working class, and from a different background than the standard run of comic book mystics. Constantine started to grow out of that. And I think it's like... I think that's a fairly common approach to take now, but it wasn't really at the time. That was like a brand new sort of thing. So I appreciated that, and I appreciated the cameo in this issue. All right, well then, uh, since Ashley didn't, I will. I'll go with Mad Hattie. Uh, she will be a uh, recurring presence in the first half of The Sandman, uh, plays some pretty pivotal roles in later stories. And it's as, as Ashley mentioned, it's just great to see that from day one, she doesn't take no crap from no person. She knows mm -hmm. that she's been alive for hundreds of years. She knows that she's seen all these different things. And she's here to make sure that you don't forget it. And I think that's a good life lesson for all of there us. Go. Yeah. Preach. All right. So I had one thing I wanted to pitch over to you, Sean, just real quick. You mentioned that you've read a lot of John Constantine's comics. I have never, there are probably lots of people out there who have never, can you on the fly recommend a place to start that makes sense if we are interested in the in a further exploration of the character that we got here in this issue? Yeah, definitely. So Constantine's solo series is called Hellblazer. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It ran for hundreds of issues. Do you know what Hellblazer means? No. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> It, I'm it, glad I didn't lie and say, of course I know what it means. Yeah, Who doesn't? But, <laughs> but it was originally supposed to be Hellraiser, which makes a lot more sense, right? Because he's a troublemaker and he literally summons mm -hmm. demons, right? Mm. Um, but this happened to be, his solo series was being developed contemporaneously with Clive Barker's movie, Hellraiser. So mm. DC backed off. Um Jamie Delano didn't really care one way or the other, and so Hellblazer it was. So if you want to find John Constantine's stories, you can start with Hellblazer. Specifically, I would recommend starting with the storyline Dangerous Habits, which is by Garth Ennis and... Folks, he is doing this from memory and is scrambling to find the second author on a comic book uh, from 20 years ago. I just want to put that out there, just so we're all on the same page here with the skill that is Sean <laughs> in recommendations. Uh, <laughs> nuts, I don't have it, darn it. I'll, I'll find it. We should put it in the show notes because... <laughs> that was well, so wholesome. Because, you, you know, it's, it's been this nuts. thing where uh, the sort of role of writers, I mean, partly because of, of these auteurs like, like Neil Gaiman, has really been elevated and artists don't always get the credit that they right. deserve. And so I think it's really important to call that out whenever I can finally find it. Um, but just tell you a little bit about the, uh, you know, the Dangerous Habits storyline. It's, it's an absolute classic. Ashley, you were talking earlier um, about this concern with salvation and things like that. And, you know, this potential trepidation on Constantine's part about, like, you know, worried about going to hell. Well, in Dangerous Habits, 
we find out that John Constantine is definitely dying and is definitely going to hell. And so this storyline is about how far will man go when he knows he's damned to escape uh, the clutches of the devil. I love that. Uh, now, now I know exactly what's going on my Goodreads next. And then one quick over to you, Ashley. Finding all these comics can be a little difficult sometimes, and you may find yourself, you know, they, they can get a little pricey. And so I think you had mentioned a service through a library where you can actually find a lot of these comics. Uh, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, so Sean and I uh, had connected over our deep love of the app Hoopla, which I think both of our libraries uh, utilize. It's a service that libraries have to have a subscription to. And so you would sign in using your library card. It's an online database. They've got comic books, graphic novels, um, audiobooks, television shows, and other films, and then sometimes they'll have uh, just other media, digital media that you could use on your phone. Um, and I found it really helpful when I was teaching theater appreciation because there were a lot of plays oh, cool. that I wanted my students to read that they couldn't find copies mm -hmm. of. And so directing them to Hoopla, then they were able to page together uh, and, and read out loud when they couldn't find all the same issue. They could find the same issue then through Hoopla. And I found that it's a really helpful platform to read comic books off of if you can't find or can't afford the issues or the volumes you're looking for. Um, they have the double tap feature where instead of going page by page, it will zoom in on each panel. So then you know, Ben, what you were mentioning about sometimes getting lost depending mm. on which panel you were supposed to go to next. In this case, it'll guide you for you, especially if you're new to pod, or excuse me, especially if you are new to comics, that can be really helpful mm. to guide your eye. Um, you might not get a whole sense of the composition of a page, but again, if you're just trying to get in and catch up with us or to read uh, Hellblazer for the first time, that's a really great way to do so. So the stock that each library has will vary from library to library. So, you know, what one library has on Hoopla, another library might not. So you want to check. Uh, but I found it a, a wildly helpful app and service to use, especially when I'm trying to read comic book issues that I can't find physically. And again, not an ad, just something cool that we thought. And that's Hoopla. That's H-O-O-P-L-A digital.com. So Hoopla digital.com. Will Simpson. Sorry to change the subject, but Garth Ennis's <laughs> collaborator on the Dangerous Habits storyline in Hellblazer was Will Simpson. Awesome work. Really cool. Don't want to leave him out. And we're never going to leave him out. Wow. What a amazing episode. Thank you so much, Sean and Ashley, for bringing so much, so much knowledge. And I'm definitely going to need to look up a whole bunch of things y'all talked about. And if anybody out there wants to come and chat with us about it, hit us up on social media or come hang out in our Discord and you can bug Ashley and talk to her all about predestinations, predestination, <laughs> and how all that worked out. I, I definitely messed something up there. We also had some great conversations where Ashley broke down the most perfect inside joke between her and Neil that was ever created. <laughs> We got the awesome rundown of who Constantine was and just had a really excellent time diving into all the panels and characters that we get as this story really starts to flesh out. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Sandman Unlocked. And remember, never trust the storyteller, only trust the story. Thanks for tuning in to The Sandman Unlocked an odd conduit media production. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sandman Unlocked. Join us on Discord as well. Thanks to our show producer, Patrick Childers, and to Lieutenant Head Trip for our theme and incidental music. If you'd like to support us directly, head over to our Patreon. You can follow Ashley on Twitter at D-E-E-D-E-E -E 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 underscore K and on Instagram and TikTok at Ashley Mowers. Find Sean on Twitter at Lon Dogson and find Head Trip everywhere at LT Head Trip. You can get all of this info and more in the show notes. Make sure to follow and subscribe and review us wherever you listen. Until next time, and remember, never trust the storyteller, only trust the story. <laughs>